Hello, and welcome to episode two of Retro Foundation, where we look back at all of your favorite media from the past for the very first time. My name is Mackenzie Collins, and I'm joined by Private First Class, Matt Vallette of the Second Podcast Squadron. Hello! Hey, before diving in, I want to remind everyone of our blog, which is just www.retro.foundation. There's no comms or anything weird like that. Just retro.foundation. Uh, and on there, we discuss everything that we're going to talk about here and way more. Uh, we also have a Twitter account, at Retro Foundation. And finally, I want to thank Adam Raimonda for our awesome theme song. You can check out more from Adam at adamraimonda.com. That's A-D-A-M-R-A-Y-M-O-N-D-A.com. All right. Mac, what are you doing? What are you consuming? Uh, currently, I've been consuming a couple things. Uh, firstly, I want to talk about what everyone else in the world is probably talking about, or at least America, which is season four of House of Cards. House of Cards, man. Oh, it's so good. It's and back. I'm like, up front, like, I'm probably not going to have a lot of spoilers because I only got to episode three. And apparently, a lot of things happen after that. Uh, That's usually what happens in that <laughs> show. There's nothing for like half the season, and then a lot. For the rest of the season. Right. This show for me is just a shining example of what Netflix can do, but what t- all TV should be doing. They're great. Like, it all comes out at once, which is great. The seasons are compact enough to feel like you can binge watch if you want to or to get through in a week. And it, I think it has two of the strongest leads on TV right now with Kevin Spacey and Robin Wright. They seem to have a really good dynamic, even though their characters kind of hate each other a lot of the time. We're like buttheads. But those two actors are just phenomenal. They're really good. It's crazy. Uh, it's like not okay how good it is, especially Kevin Spacey. He's pretty much perfect for the role, but it's kind of crazy. The, the strange thing is it's not like he plays that role in everything. Now he does. You know, Call of Duty, it's like he's always the House of Cards guy. Yeah. But um, like he didn't start with that. Like It's not like he's always had that demanding demeanor. Yeah. Um, I mean, I guess I'm trying to think like the when I always think of Kevin Spacey, it's American Beauty. And I guess he was kind of a, like a, wasn't he kind of a hard ass yeah. dad in that? Yeah, you're right. But I've always thought of Kevin Spacey as a little bit more lighthearted. And like when he breaks the fourth wall and is talking to us. Oh, it's great. It's great. And it's intense. And it's, I get a little nervous. So I'm like, what is the president going to ask me to do? I wish that we were doing this podcast during season three, just so we can talk about how weird the Monument Valley stuff is. I don't recall. Oh, really? Like season three has a video game journalist that's writing his book. And like, they're always playing Monument Valley. That's like, oh my that's god, that's they, right. Yeah, that's what they found him from. That's right. Uh, also a great game. It's so it's such a it's such a great game, but it's such a weird pool. Yes. Why like why would anybody know. in the government ever play? I don't know, but it shows the brilliance of the writing of that show, I think. If Obama plays Monument Valley, like reelect him the third time. That's a- <laughs> <laughs> Just straight FDR it. You got that red day expansion or whatever. <laughs> yeah. He's still stuck. Yeah, so uh, House of Cards, like, awesome. Definitely watch it. If you haven't watched all of it, just do it. Stop stop it. It's very intense. It takes a lot to get in. No, it doesn't take a lot to get into, but it's a very serious and intense show. But It's complicated in its presentation. Like, it's complicated maybe on purpose, where, like, they start with this complex situation or series of situations and unfold it over the course of the show. Yeah. Well, the also, other seasons have been like that. I haven't, I haven't started the fourth one yet. It'll yeah. happen. The like the other just quick note I made on it is it has one of the top three title sequences, title sequences in all of TV right now. Too long. It is a little bit too long, but it, if you put it up with Sherlock, which is kind of very similar, but also Game of Thrones, 
and I don't like Game of Thrones, but their title sequence is amazing with yeah. how it changes Except where they're going. That and it's too long. <laughs> they're all too long, but have you seen Deadwood? That's why I didn't watch Deadwood. Really? Yeah, Deadwood. Like they're, I think they're an hour, and at least forty minutes of it is the title sequence. <laughs> <laughs> It's I crazy. don't believe you, but I also didn't watch Deadwood. No, so. it's one you have. You can't. Uh, you can't combat it. Then it's yeah, truth, right? Until proven otherwise, that's true. So, uh, but I really want to watch Deadwood. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> super great. <laughs> so we've uh, another thing that we've currently consuming. We've been currently consuming together, kind of separately yeah, not together. together. That's I mean, at the same time. At the same time. Yeah. So the FX show. Uh, I, it's hard to know what to call it because it actually has two names. The subtitle of the show is The People versus O.J. Simpson. That's what everyone knows it as. Right. What no one's noticing is it is called American Crime Story, which yes. we'll get into later because that might sound familiar to some people. What have you thought about the run so far? How far are you up in, in the show? Uh, so we watched the episode before Marsha, Marsha, Marsha. So the one that just aired a couple okay. days ago we haven't watched yet. Okay. So I only got two in. Oh, so, so you're not, oh, I'm farther than you then. Yeah, you're much farther than me. But I'll let me be, let me tell you what, or let me hear what you think because you've gone farther into okay. it than I have. Super good. The first episode is spectacular. Uh, I was obviously alive during the trial, but I didn't have the insight into like if it happened now, I would I would care a lot more than I did then. Yeah, what were we? That was ninety four. I think that was nineteen ninety four. So I was seven. Wait, that sounds that sounds early. I don't know. Look it up real quick while I talk because yeah. that's gonna bug me. Um, so yeah, it's great. Like the the actual retelling is really good. Listen, hopefully you will learn during this podcast. I don't know a lot about anything. So actors, actors are just one of those things that I don't pay attention to a whole lot. But I love Cuba Gooding Jr. Just from this. And he's done a very good job, I think. Like, he's I've showing an like, interesting dynamic range. It's crazy. He's so good. Uh, just absolutely spectacular presentations. I've been hearing, I'm sure they're going to be up for um, awards for this. The John Travolta thing. <laughs> oh, wait. Is that actually John Travolta? That because is John Travolta. I, no, I'm pretty sure that they went to Madame Tussauds and got the wax model of John Travolta <laughs> to play himself. <laughs> He doesn't that would move. Make more sense. His face doesn't move. There's some interesting things where I wonder, like if they're character decisions or. Well, he's a producer, I think. So he he's too good of an actor to to be doing what he's doing. So it has to be a specific choice where he's trying to mimic the real life person. Right. So I don't know a lot about Robert Shapiro, but it maybe it does seem like someone that would have like a lot of. Botox and plastic surgery done, so their yeah. face doesn't move. That or that's what's happened to John Travolta, and we just didn't Aww. know it because we haven't seen him in a while. Maybe, maybe you're right. Yeah, he was it was 1994, life. by the way. Oh, damn. Yeah, okay. so it was 1994. The trial went uh, through 1995. Well, he's acquitted in 1995. Uh, um, spoiler alert. <laughs> <laughs> I gotta, guess spoiler alert. You I have mean, to prime those things. Yeah, I guess if uh, if anyone younger than us is watching this, they might not really even know. That much about this trial. I mean, you could have just totally messed with someone. Maybe they went online and looked up OJ Simpson jail because mm-hmm. he's in jail now. Right. You could have just really like turned someone's world upside down. Hmm. Yeah. Man. So here's my thoughts about this show. Um, so American Crime Story, when I saw that subtitle, I was like, that's a little weird. 
wait, American Horror Story. Mm -hmm. It's the same creator as American Horror Story, and it's designed to be an anthology series, which isn't a bad idea, but True Detective always already exists, which is whatever. I'm really curious to see what the next trial they do is. Oh, you don't know? Did, have they announced it? Uh-huh, yeah. Oh, because I looked like when I started watching this weekend and I didn't see anything. What is I it? I saw it after like the second episode. They're doing something about Katrina. Whoa. Uh-huh. I don't so we think... get to go back to creepy New Orleans like <laughs> we did in season one of True Detective. <laughs> but it didn't seem as like major case. It seems like they're probably trying to, to splash with the OJ. waters with, with the OJ one. Um, which is a good time after the recent evidence. Yeah, because I was thinking, <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, that thing's weird. That's really weird. That's I don't is super trust suspicious. leads that come from TMZ, but yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, everyone's screwed up in this entire yeah. thing. Everyone on every level screwed up. Wait, if anyone doesn't know, they found a, sh- a, a knife yeah. uh, when digging on his property. <clears throat> Do you know when they found it, though? Uh. 1998. They found Wait. that knife in 1998 when they went to like level OJ's old house or Nicole Brown's old house. I don't remember which one it is. Uh, and they found the knife and the the police officer that found it or that got it turned over like asked, I think, a superior officer. I could be wrong on these details. And essentially it came down to that trial's over and there's there's still double double jeopardy. So he can't be tried for it again. So like, do we want to bring this out? And it finally came out oddly enough time like maybe this cop wants to make some money or something i don't know but it is a little weird that's insane it comes from tmz though and i just don't want to trust them but they're honestly becoming more of a valid source for things (laughs) because they're just everywhere like did you know they have guys that work at the lax baggage claim and like in the airport so that they can figure out when people are coming in and out of la wait tmz does yeah and you're saying that's a valid way of reporting that information it's not a necessarily a valid way but they're getting information faster than other places and that's like the most important thing now not accuracy (laughs) that's true um wait so keep going so you're two episodes in i'm two episodes in uh (laughs) it so in the the same reason that i never watched american horror story and i've seen a little little bits of it fx wants to push the you could say realism, but it's really like gory HBO mm-hmm. kind of stuff. They want to push it all the way to where HBO does with True Detective and Game of Thrones and everything, but then they bring it back down one notch. And that one notch makes it completely unbelievable. And I wish I could remember the like the exact the exact example that I had, but Everywhere they go, it's like, oh, this is going to get crazy. Oh, it did just uh, fell short a little bit. But wait, you're saying on a on a gore level, not on a... It, not even gore. Gore is part of it, but it's like the seriousness, the realism of it. So it's not a limitation of broadcast television as much as it's a limitation of the writers or what I think so. Well, it's broadcast TV, but it's cable. So they should be able to get away with everything that... HBO does, but FX is like a Fox owned and it's on a lot of people's basic cable plan. So I don't think they want to push full on. Like I'm sure if an American horror story was an HBO show, everyone says it was terrifying. I bet it would be like bone shatteringly terrifying yeah. if it was on I a very it. serious network. It's on, it's on my agenda. It's something to watch. Yeah. It's just interesting. Cuba Gooding Jr. Does do a good job, a great um, job. of playing like this, really messed up OJ. What happens at the end of episode two or what happens? Like what's uh, what's the event that's happening? So episode now? one is mainly the event. Uh-huh. 
and I believe that's uh, the white Bronco chase. I think happens in episode okay. two because I don't remember a lot right? happening after that. So you've seen the part where he's in um, Kim's room, like with the gun. Yes. Oh, that's another thing. We get it. It's Robert Kardashian. Oh, I'm so happy. You Why do we have up? to keep throwing the Kardashian kids into more shit? I don't care they about. Are, <laughs> first off. I have nothing against the Kardashians. There are so many times in this show where they put really weird focus on the kids. Yeah. And they're very specific about saying their names. Mm-hmm. Oh, it really, like, it's the one thing. I really like the show. I like its pacing. It slows down a lot. Like, the first two episodes are pretty, um, they're pretty edge of your seat. Like, they're not mm-hmm. the craziest things. They're, they're still grounded in reality. It starts getting into the trial. Definitely slows down. Is it to a point where it drags? Uh, No. I don't. I don't think. Uh, no, I don't think that it drags. Um, it just changes what it is a little bit. Mm-hmm. It's definitely more like we're a crime show than we're an action or like a, a suspenseful crime show. Okay, it's it, like, it, like just becomes. It's a little more technical and like emotional, maybe. Yeah, definitely. Okay, uh, but they still have this weird focus on the Kardashians at weird times, and it, I'm like, oh, yeah, let's back it off a little bit. I understand what you're doing, and you probably have to, but let's reel it in. Well, there's probably some like money coming or something oh, that's yeah. like featuring the Kardashians. The weird thing is, I didn't know that Ross Geller was the Kardashians' father. I thought it was Robert Kardashian, but it's just Ross Geller. Yeah, like Wait. David Schwimmer is doing a good job, but. And maybe I'm just seeing Ross because he hasn't worked a lot, but he seems like Ross. That <laughs> so simult- I'm simultaneously watching Friends. Like I know Friends is my background show right now because <laughs> uh, it's just something I've seen most of them, but I haven't seen them in order. So we're just going through them on Netflix. Um, they are they are difficult to separate. I bet. Yeah, he doesn't seem that different. What's our other primary cast? Uh, I haven't seen Nathan Lane yet, but it says he's in every episode. Did I completely miss Nathan Lane? He's in every episode? He's credited in 10 episodes. They do that with the judge, too. They credit the judge, even though he's not in every episode. Okay, so maybe I just haven't. I was really excited to see Nathan Lane. He's good. I really like him. He's very good. Good old Timon. Uh, I don't know what that reference is. He's in Mass Effect, right? Did Nathan Lane do a voice in Mass Effect? He. You don't know Timon? No. What is that? The Lion King. What, what? Timon, the meerkat. The meerkat. Timon and Pumbaa. Pumbaa. Nathan Lane is is Timon. Uh, why does Pumbaa resonate so... Oh my god, no. Don't say it. I'm going to say something and I don't want you to say the correct answer. Why does Pumbaa resonate so much more with me? <laughs> <laughs> That's awful. Yeah, I can't answer you because... <laughs> Thank you. I don't think the thing that you're making me say, but... It's the answer. Yeah, it's the answer. I don't know. That name's a lot harder for me to to match with that character. That means it was a good voice acting job. I mean, bring him, tear it down. That great job, Nathan Lane. Also, again, I just don't. That's not where my knowledge base is with Mm -hmm. actors. So, like, even if I know who Timon is, which I do, Mm -hmm. I don't. I didn't know that Nathan Lane was his voice. Surprise. Hey, do you know that Jonathan Taylor Thomas was Simba? I, that one I didn't know. Okay. <laughs> <That's good. laughs> See, my problem is my uh, focus on actors is always on Jonathan Taylor Thomas. Oh, I've watched in the past. I've watched the Simba scenes of Lion King and Home Improvement. <laughs> wow. Yeah, it's a very narrow. When does focus. that get remade? By the way, Home Improvement. Now that Fuller you, House and you and can't do it. It's too sexist. It, that's exactly <laughs> what I said when I brought that up the last time. I was like, also, Oh my god, he's a crazy person. He's insane. Although, so is um. The, the Full House Dad. God. Oh, yeah. I don't know. What is it? I can't Bob Saget. Bob Saget. 
He's also a great he is. Person. He also you watched the God. We're off topic. You watched Fuller House, right? You said I you know, watched. I haven't. Oh, okay. I've heard such funny things about it where I was like, I've read like it's not good or that it's too like cheesy, and I'm like, that sounds exactly like Full House. It's they nailed it. They got Full House down. The weird thing is everyone looks the same pretty much. And a lot of people aged really well, mm-hmm. uh, except Bob Saget. Bob Saget <laughs> got tall person disorder where he's like hunched all the time. And I don't know what happened. Don't and know, it maybe. also, his face didn't move a lot. I don't know if he got Botox. How, how much is he in it? They, so the principal cast leaves the kids behind at the end of the pilot, basically. Doesn't that make them not the principal cast? The prince, sorry, the principal retro cast. Okay. Yeah. The, the dad and Jesse and Joey. And the, everyone from that original, they leave the kids with the new kids. And they did a lot of cool things where, like, the intro shows each... Because, like, every other season, Full House had a new, like, video to mm-hmm. show the kids newer, and they're out in San Francisco and everything. And it does that still, but it's, like, little baby, you know, elementary school, teenager, Aww. and then adult. And it's pretty cool. Didn't show them all the other years where they were just sitting around, yeah, not, exactly. not working. Oh, they break the fourth wall and make oh, about a... about Michelle, right? About Michelle. They yeah. make a very pointed joke about, where's Michelle? Oh, she's running her fashion company in New York. And then they break the fourth wall and stare at the audience for like seven straight seconds. Like, clearly... Uh, we're all here. Where are you? <laughs> I thought that they weren't invited. Did they say no? I'm not sure. It doesn't matter mm. to me. I mean, they, I wouldn't have invited them, but I also would have wanted them to be like, oh, you're doing it. Like, we're the baby. We have deviated, deviated completely off topic. Good. But the People versus OJ, I don't know if I'm going to be able to continue to watch it. I want to, but... It depends it, on why you don't want to keep watching it. It just seems cheesy. They didn't... We had to do a little research, me and my roommate, when we were watching. They didn't seem to deviate from the actual events too they do. bad. They do, but it's it's in a way that doesn't seem to... Oh, the, you mean they do it uh-huh. worse. Oh. Yeah, there's one event... Do you want me to just tell you? Yeah, just There's tell one me. event... Oh, it made me so angry because they were uh, they were giving, like, their first... I don't, God, I'm, I feel so stupid. They were... The first time, like, they're talking... And they're like giving their uh, their presentations to the whole courtroom. Mm-hmm. One of the dudes uh, gets upset and he collapses. <laughs> what? And I was like, "There is no way that that happened." And then I read up, and no, it didn't happen. Like he had he had previously had chest pains and then was pulled from the case. But okay. they made it they over they they made it so dramatic. Mm-hmm. I was upset. Okay, well, we should move on to the next currently consuming, the last one, which yeah, yeah. is your Far Cry Primal. Yeah, and lo- I don't have a ton to say about it. So I, uh, I'm i a really big Far Cry fan. Mm-hmm. Far Cry Primal is, it's not, uh, it's a full another game, but it's not, it's not at the same time. Mm-hmm. Uh, it actually uses the same map as Far Cry 4. <laughs> which is And a- Far Cry 4, I played in, and I think I redboxed it. Yeah. And I never take those back the next day, and I took it back the next day. Oh, dude. It was weird. Know- I liked the baiting and, like, getting, like, animals to get people and whatever, but there was some game mechanic that just felt really, like, old school almost. You should, if you get a chance, you should play Far Cry 3. It's one of my favorite games mm-hmm. from last generation, and it's really, really good. They do, so one of my favorite things about Far Cry is they have... There's like the story, and the story is always really good, and they have like a they always have a really good villain, and the writing's, you know, it's it's whatever triple A game, um, but they have this mechanic, this gameplay loop of upgrading your gear by killing animals. So like you go <laughs> and you hunt, and it's like oh you need to kill four bald eagles and collect them in order to upgrade your bald, bald eagle pouch or whatever. America, and, uh, America. Uh, I don't think any of them took place in America. 
Um, so you go and you do that, but they take this gameplay loop and they made it the entire game. So in Primal, you're in uh, old, like, pre, like, 10,000 BCE. Is that what they say now? Mm-hmm. Um, and you're just hunting. Like, <laughs> you're just, like, around tigers and boars and stuff that are attacking you all the time. Okay, so it's not, like, dinosaurs. You're not that far back. No, woolly mammoths. Woolly mammoths. Okay. Yeah, and, and other, that's, like, that's cavemen. Dope. It's uh, it's really interesting to be walking around, and the color palette's really interesting, and there's just like this huge woolly mammoth next to you, or like a flock of them. That's awesome. And I haven't got to a point where I can like actually kill them. I think you get there. Mm-hmm. Right now, I'm like boars and <laughs> little baby animals. I and I played, and Amy yells, and she gets mad. Oh, <laughs> she's like, "Don't kill it!" I'm like, like but I, I have to. <laughs> but I need a. Bad also, bow there's arrow. still a lot of them around at this point there's in time. Plenty. The really great thing is that it doesn't. So they. The really great thing is that they don't um, they don't break the the, proc, the the actual story at all. Where there's no English, everything subtitles. It's, Whoa! It's uh, and you don't like end up with like a gun or anything like that. Like you're still like spears and things the whole time. Mm-hmm. It's it's like really grounded in. I'm not going to say it's grounded in reality because I've said that like five times but <laughs> already. It's better than yeah, it's better than you would expect it to like be for a video farce. game. Yeah. It's cool. I like Far Cry. Like I remember when Far Cry first came out, and it was the it was the first one running the Crytek engine, I think, and it was the one that you had to have like a crazy computer. And I remember like I didn't have a good enough one, but my friend did. Are you thinking of Crisis? No, because okay. that came later, and that was another one that just destroyed computers. Yeah, that was the that was the first destroyed. one that was like you need a quad core or else you're not doing this because yeah. it literally rendered different parts through different cores. That's why I've never played that game. <laughs> yep. Uh, but like I remember being in like high school and seeing the water in Far Cry 1 and being like, oh my God, it looks real. I think I remember this. It always had that sister series. Have you played Red Faction? No. I've never played Red Faction. No. But they kind of came up at the same time and mm-hmm. I always get their early iterations confused. Anyway... <laughs> Uh, it's good. I'm only like ten hours into it, but it's it's fun so far. Nice. I think that's it for the <laughs> the current stuff. We went yeah, on a little bit. We yeah, we went that's fun, though. We went around the the bush a little bit, but so it's all good. Let's talk about what we're actually here to talk about. Which uh, before we start, I want to say we got a suggestion <laughs> to do this movie from a coworker, and neither of us had seen it. And we were like, yeah, sure. You know, this sounds like it's it's supposed to be great. Um, and we probably shouldn't have done it this early. One is because we have absolutely no credibility as <laughs> as people that can consume media and make real opinions on it. And two is because it's going to be real difficult to uh, to have any type of fun with. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's not a fun movie. It's Saving Private Ryan. It's Saving Private Ryan. Um, so I did want to see this. <laughs> I I did really want to see this. When we like, we got the suggestion, and it was already on my list because you've heard me talk about this. Matt's sick of me talking about this trip, but I got to go to Europe for the first time last fall. And one of the stops we made was in Normandy, and we went to Omaha Beach and we went to the American Cemetery there. So I've seen a lot of the places that were either depicted or filmed in this movie. So there was a little bit of a more connection, and I kind of had that more what's the word I used earlier? I don't know. It like just resonated with me more mm-hmm. being there, knowing like there's the cliff that they couldn't get up, and there's there's where the Germans were, and like it, it was it really grounded me to not the idea of like war is good because I still don't think that, but the sacrifices that were made there were crazy. Seeing it in real life though makes that opening scene crazy, but we'll talk about that in a minute. Let me set it up a little bit more. 
So Saving Private Ryan came out the summer of 1998. It was June 24th. Oddly enough, about two weeks after Armageddon came out the same year. And those were the first, those were the two top movies of that year. And they're pretty much the exact same movie. <laughs> yeah, it's just like a different, <laughs> no, no, a different objective. <laughs> a little bit different of execution. <laughs> yeah, and not so it's Spielberg versus Michael Bay, too, which is a really big difference. Uh, oddly enough, I thought Ben Affleck was in both because one of the characters in Saving Private he Ryan did. looks like yeah, he yeah, looks, looks a like lot Ben like Affleck, him. Uh, especially the name. younger, younger Ben Affleck. So Saving Private Ryan was made for an estimated seventy million dollars in nineteen ninety eight. It ended up earning two hundred sixteen million, and its opening weekend was thirty million, which is pretty good. It ended up grossing four hundred eighty worldwide. I don't know why the I got those from two different sources, so Wait, one so, must be adjusted. Uh, yeah, or earnings. Is that just its theater run? We should probably look into this kind of stuff more. Yeah. Anyway, so the gross <laughs> uh, saving private run was the second highest grossing of the year at four hundred eighty-one million. It was still Armageddon at the top at five hundred fifty-three. So here, I'm, I'll come out and say this. Um, <clears throat> I like Armageddon. I think it's a totally fine movie. So I haven't seen it. Okay, There's another good. one. Uh, it's it's not good, but it's totally fine. It is um, what it is. It, so contrasting those two that came out that same month, one is a summer blockbuster movie uh-huh. in Armageddon, and the other is a Spielberg movie. Mm-hmm. Armageddon absolutely should not be above <laughs> Saving Private Ryan in sales. That happens another time to this movie, but f- even to a worse extent... They were nominated for Best Picture at the Oscars that year, and they lost. Saving Private Ryan lost to Shakespeare in Love. Wait, I didn't. Okay, I didn't know that. Yeah, isn't that crazy? So, th- so okay, I was reading up on it. It's like one of the biggest upsets in Oscar history. Full disclosure: we have notes in front of us of some things that we wanted to talk about. That is not what I thought was happening in these notes when I first glanced at them. <laughs> oh, yeah, the awards. Looking now, fully can see that, that it lost to Shakespeare in Love. Mm-hmm. That is insane. <laughs> That's crazy. Because I, I think as we talk, it's going to come out that I didn't necessarily li- like Saving Private Ryan, but I appreciate Saving Private Ryan. So let's, uh, I want to talk about this. Um, and I've wanted to since I watched it. The interesting thing is you're telling me that you, you wanted to watch it and you didn't like it. I had zero interest in watching this movie. I freaking loved this movie. Mm-hmm. I loved the hell out of this movie. Way more than I thought I was going to. Uh, I I could not, like, stop feeling respect. And, like, every shot, there were some shots where I was just like, how do I get that shot and make it the background of my computer? <laughs> oh, it's beautifully it's shot. It's so beautiful. And it's, it's definitely film, too. It feels like film, which is amazing. I mean, we don't get that as much now. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And so that's uh, something we can talk about later. But I was like, there's no way. The great thing is I feel like that movie was made at the perfect time. Like, mm-hmm. the way that it was shot, it's actually, like, fundamentals of the way that it was shot. If you shot that movie now, it would be terrible, I have a feeling. Like, it would be extremely difficult to shoot it and make it look like that without, because everything would be... CG mm-hmm. and you would lose all the practical. Effects. I feel like Spielberg would do what I mean. Abrams did all of Force Awakens in practical, or a lot of Force Awakens in practical. So like Spielberg probably would have done. I think he would have done the Omaha Beach scene, that opening scene 
impractical. Those weren't even my favorite scenes, though. Do you remember the scene where they're walking? Like, it's just like like the eight guys walking, and it's thunderstorming. In the background, it's just like black silhouettes walking Oh the yeah. Oh, my God. I feel like when I saw that scene, and they do it a couple times where you see the soldiers being silhouettes, it reminded me of the marketing for Band of Brothers, which came out, I think, a year or two later, uh-huh. uh, which I also want to watch. But... It's another war movie that, or war series that's like let's really give tough. It a couple weeks. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, let's. Uh, so, do you have specific things um, that you want to talk about with this movie? Yes. So the opening scene is amazing. Like that thirty minutes at the beginning is really cool. It cost them eleven million dollars to film just the Omaha Beach scene. And it lasts 30 minutes. So that's where your first half hour of this movie is. I wonder how long it takes, how long that event for the first squadron that came out. I wonder how long that took them to get. I I wonder if it was close to 30 minutes. They told me when I was touring, and it was over the course of time. And you know what? I'm going to set a little backstory here because I learned some things in France that I didn't know about this invasion and why it, it was so bad for those guys landing on the beach. Number one, and they touch on this a little in the middle of the movie, but it's easy to miss if you don't know it. The airborne squadrons that came in, the paratroopers and I think like bomb bomb droppers, missed their target by about seven seconds or something like that, which means they dropped their bombs miles from Omaha Beach. So they were supposed to have taken out a lot of the the cliffside uh, soldiers. Those soldiers were also unknown to the Americans. The Americans came in thinking that this post was being, uh, this post was being filled by prisoner soldiers, people that they, that the Nazis had taken from North Africa and other places that they've invaded and said, well, you're dead or be a soldier for us. What was actually waiting for the Americans at the top of the cliffs of Normandy were soldiers that were recently pulled from the Russian front of World War II, where you could say Hitler lost the war at D-Day. He probably lost the war in Russia because you shouldn't fight the Russians at all, but definitely not in winter. And so there were all these like grizzled veterans that were just happy to not be in Siberia. And that's what the Americans were greeted with that day in September. I mean, I have no response. It's crazy. I never knew that. Wait, you learned that when you were traveling? I, yeah, because we got a guided tour of the beaches. So that's why I went to Omaha. They took us to another beach and then the American Cemetery. And it was really cool because it was like a rainy day and it was the off-season for tourists. So it was just me and my roommate who I traveled with and the tour guide. So we just had like a fun day in Normandy with Chuck. Chuck, if you're listening, hi. Hey, Chuck. <laughs> so in that opening scene, too, I think you start to see one of the most worthwhile things that you see in this movie, which is the especially with Tom Hanks, you get these moments where he is in shock at what is happening and he's just staring and everything's happening around him and he's breaking. And that is more worthwhile than seeing the thousand extras that it took to make that scene running around and shooting themselves. I told you this, um, when we were texting each other about this movie, I'm really big on character development. Mm -hmm. Like that is my, my soft point for any type of storytelling stories. I get it. I, I feel like everything has like goes for the twist now, which is you know it kind of. Then I expect it, and then I wait for it, and then I have less fun. But the character development is something that I always find really often um, authentic. Do you just in general, not specifically about this movie, because you don't really have a choice of this movie. The story is only you know a couple yards long, and the actual character development of each person is mm-hmm. what drives it. 
Are you more of a character development person, or do you care more about story overall? Mm, I would say character more than story, but okay. I take both into account. There are a lot of times in this movie where they use a Spielberg character development trope, which I sent you earlier, the Spielberg, yes. the Spielberg stare, the Spielberg face. And it was one of my problems with the movie because he does it a lot. And it's whatever. You see Tom Hanks looking at something and thinking, or you see all these guys doing that. They all drug on for like, there was like 30% longer Spielberg faces than I thought was necessary. I, never I didn't notice that. That didn't bug me. Honestly, I came into this movie in a little grump, a little grump <laughs> pants. So like, I, I guess I was just like from the beginning kind of analyzing it from a bad place. That's terrible. Hey, there's some certain some things that happened in the first scene that I want to talk to you about mm-hmm. that I wrote down because uh, I was excited to talk about it. One, I think I'm applying way too much meaning to. Did you notice? So, so the first time that we see the people are coming off the ship, the Americans are coming off the ship, and they're all dying just in mass quantity, mm-hmm. and everything's happening really, really quickly. Like people just death, 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 murder, murder, murder. But then the first time that I recall like seeing Germans get killed was the sniper. You remember, like, he told him, Tom Hanks told, uh, God, I'm so bad at these people's names, too. They told him, hey, like, go up into that little pit. They won't be able to see you and then kill him. And it was the first moment where they slowed everything down and they saw, like, you saw the time that it took to actually do the action. And again, I'm I'm probably applying way more meaning to this than was actually there. It's like, it's amazing if you look at it, if the time spent representing the kills is a similar ratio to how many people were killed than like Americans, tons of American died and they all died really, really quickly. Mm-hmm. But then the, the few Germans that were there that were able, that we were able to kill or like that sounds terrible. The few Germans that were there that were killed, they took so much more time with it because there was so much less. There were so fewer of them. Yeah. They were, I think there were more American troops. I could be wrong. There had to be. The There was a couple of other interesting things that I learned about that that they don't depict super well. So the beach is all just bullshit. Everything's an emergency on the beach. If you're not getting shot by something, there's the the like crosses that are supposed to take out ships. There's mines. There's all of these awful things on the beach. They then were trying to get up the cliffside because mm-hmm. it's like good 10 stories tall. Yeah, and that's what I'm talking about. So they had the people, they were like in the nest mm-hmm. up top and they were shooting down. Yeah. Uh, and they were looking around the corner with the mirror. Yeah. Thing in the ba- in the, the yeah, so that was a very similar play. They depicted, they didn't actually film that at Omaha Beach. Uh, they actually filmed it in Ireland, but it's very, it looks a lot like where I was. The other part is how did they get up the cliffs? Because they were all just getting murdered and you saw them kind of bunkering back. Yeah. And hiding, which there, I don't think there was actually anywhere for them, for them to do that. They were going to like spear gun up and repel that cliff, or and or take ladders, and all of those things didn't work. So somehow American soldiers got up there just by sheer will, because we were not set up to succeed this at all because of bad information and the weather and all of this. That's terrible. Yeah. Another since we're still on the topic of the the opening scene, I found an interesting statistic. Uh, I said earlier is a thousand extras of those thousand extras. They used 17,000 squibs, which are small explosive devices that blow blood on a stage. I like got a soundstage or they use them in movies. Those are normally controlled by special effects directors in this movie. Spielberg asked his special effects director to wire in a transponder into the guns of the cast 
so that when you fired your gun at someone, because that part was rehearsed, you like knew you were supposed to shoot, I'm assuming. Yeah. Blood started going off, like, and they fell, and some of them, like, their limbs would blast off. So these actors were pulling a trigger, having a blank bullet, a, let's say a real bullet sound, fire, and then seeing someone that they probably like had a cookie with at the craft services table blow up. And they said it really affected them. Oh, I'm sure. This isn't a good time for a laser tag joke. <laughs> no. Oh, okay. It's not. <laughs> That's really awful. That would be that would be extremely difficult to film. Plus, it's just chaos. You know what they did that's always really interesting, and I didn't write this down? They talked over each other a lot. Did you ever notice that, like, Tom Hanks would be talking and then someone in front of Tom Hanks would overshadow but with with irrelevant information? Oh, to just add a tone of chaotic. I did feel like I never could understand anything anyone was saying, so maybe that was part of it. Yeah, that might be it. All right, so other things that I I wrote down, just, like, I think there's two or three scenes. Mm -hmm. Do you remember the scene where dude has a helmet on, You he gets shot in the helmet, and it's like, ding! And he oh. takes it off, he looks at it, and someone's like, wow, you're lucky. And yeah, and then, then he gets, gets shot, shot in the head. head, right in the head. You know what I did? I have this down as a note, too, because in my living room, I went, put your <laughs> helmet on! <laughs> and this is Steven Spielberg. Does he need to make me do that in one of his movies? He's too good for that. But, I don't know. It's an interesting moment, like... There's a lot of dumb things that the soldiers do, and I don't know They're if... They're kids. They are kids. They're and shocked. The, yeah, and maybe it's trying to portray that that just pure shell shock. Anytime that one of them gets a second to not be doing what they're doing, they just completely lose it. Like, yeah. that's everyone. As soon as they stop moving, stop, like, if they take their eye off the prize, it's over. Like, they are they are broken people. Yeah, and as much as it sucks, like, I did like that they, they showed that. Yeah, it's really hard. Uh, so that one was, was a really interesting moment for me. Um, and then when they were, they got up there and, like, they were taking... It wasn't like a camp. It was like the little, they had like the um, the foxholes and stuff that they were taking. And they were making fun of the German people. They're like, what'd you say? What What are you saying? And then they shot them. Yeah. I They're, didn't like that. It, And they kind of tail off from that at the end. There's a lot of times where they meet enemies or maybe not directly like enemies Mm -hmm. and there's a lot of like yelling at each other trying to figure things out or talking about things for way longer than any of them would have time to god you're so (sighs) it was a good movie it was a great movie there was a scene in that part where they're taking those soldiers out of the pillbox and i i thought it was a place that i'd actually been because there was a bunker like that where you have to like go down these stairs Mm -hmm. and then the opening goes out towards the sea so you come through this back, like down a stairwell in a doorway and then a hard left down a hallway. And in this, this like bunker that I was in, in Normandy, there were two sets of bullet holes on the walls. Oh my gosh. One directly in the doorway and one 90 degrees opposite. So you can easily tell where German and American bullets were flying. Boy. And so like when that scene came up and it's like 15 minutes and it's really early, I was like, oh my God, like I, this is really way too real for me right now. Isn't it crazy? The first scene, I'm sure when when anyone ever talks about this movie, they're probably primarily talking about that first scene. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a very different movie than the rest of it. Yeah, from that point on, it's drastically different. We talked about this last episode where we were like, well, I, I know the first scene 
of Saving Private Ryan. You know, it's just one of those those cultural things that you've absorbed at some point. And I knew it. I knew what was going to happen. I knew how long it took. I knew that it, well, I didn't know that it was as great as it was. Um, but I knew that it was a very famous scene. But as soon, I think the scene after that is the women typing the letters. Yes. And I was like, this, I have no idea. From this moment forward, I have no, I have no expectation for what this movie is going to deliver. Because it was like two polar opposite things right away. Yeah. It was really, really cool. Uh, and also, the cast, like, the cast in this movie was just, like, surprise after surprise. Yeah. This is another thing that I'm really happy that I'm watching Friends right now, because Phoebe's brother, I don't remember his name, it's, like, oh, Giovanni. Oh, that's where I recognize him Dude, from. Dude, and I was, like, so he's in, the only he's two the things medic, I He's the medic, right? Uh, yeah, I think he's, he's the medic, because he gets... Yeah, he gets shot up, and they're like, "Try." They're like, "Tell us how to help mm-hmm. you." And yeah, he was so good. I know him from Friends, and I know him from The Other Sister. And in those two things, they play. He plays the exact same character. Like uh-huh. he's just like this borderline, not too bright dude. Uh, but he was a fantastic actor. He was. I the, could not believe it. This ensemble cast was just amazing. Like, let, should you want to just go yeah, to the cast right it. now? Also, the other one, I'm going to say it first. Vin Diesel's in this movie? Yeah. How does that even happen? I don't How know. How does that happen? I have no idea. I was expecting, like, Ja Rule. <laughs> <laughs> so, cast notes that I had written down. I didn't do one for everyone, just the people that I kind of remembered and had thoughts about. So, Tom Hanks plays Captain Miller. What do you think? He's great, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. also crazy. Like, that's not... He's obviously one of the best actors. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. What range? What yeah, crazy he, range? He's like very strong and then vulnerable. And you see him as a real man with his, like the quiver in mm-hmm. his hand. And when he steps away and, and you see him just break down at the weight of all of these people that he's had to send to die. And I can't even imagine, like a hundred people died under his watch. Yeah. And when it came through and when he came out and said that he was a teacher, that was. I don't know why that was really sad to me. I guess you're, I guess that's the point. Like he's just applying him into a real life scenario, and it made it sad, right? Because you think of teachers and all of that, it makes you identify it, and it shows that everyone in America was going to this. Like if you were of age or you're of qualification or whatever, there were so many people being sent into this war. Yeah. He also has the greatest last word. Do you remember this? They're on the bridge. Like, literally? Yeah, his last, the last line of the movie that he has. Uh, what is it? Uh, they're on the bridge, and the Germans are, like, encroaching, and they fall back to try to blow the bridge to, like, to seal off that, right. that thoroughfare. And Tom Hanks, for whatever reason, I don't know if his character had just given up, or he had enough, or he knew this was the only thing to do. Shooting the tank? No, he goes out in the middle of the... Uh, road yeah. to get the detonator, get shot, and then yeah, he's shooting the tank, and Private Ryan comes over to him, and I think the only thing they say between each other is Tom Hanks looks at him, and go, earn it, and then dies. Earn it, earn all of the lives that were lost trying to get you. Oh, right, which is crazy, and it sets up what pays off this entire movie for me. And I think my actual favorite part is the very end where they're at the American cemetery and it's old private Ryan. And he, and it's always hard to see like a grandpa cry. Yeah. And he kneels down and 
he's talking to Captain Miller's grave and he goes, I hope I've earned it. I hope I've lived a good life and everything. And then his wife comes over and just, he just goes, tell me I've lived a good life. And that's the final part of the movie. And it's just crazy. So I want to come back to the, uh, to the, to the graveyard. Um, so let's go, let's keep coming through the cast. Cause I have one major qualm okay. with this movie. Okay. I, I hope I hit them. So really quickly, some of these guys don't have a lot to say. Tom Sizemore plays Sergeant Horvath. I don't know who that is. He was the one that was clearly like with Tom oh, Hanks for a long sorry. time. I don't, know like who, I don't know who he is outside of this movie. Oh, I don't think I recognize the name, but I didn't recognize him from okay. anything else. Uh, he was like the right-hand man. He felt like a career soldier. He was a good buddy to Tom Hanks. He just seemed like a soldier. I feel like he didn't have a personality. Do you, you remember him? Oh, yeah. 100%. Yeah. Uh, we've got Private Ribin, played by Edward Burns, who is the guy I thought was Ben Affleck. Ben Affleck. <laughs> and I kind of don't understand the part of, that he has in this movie. He's just a dick. Yeah, so uh, I think you. I think at some point, like you have these eight characters or, or nine once they pick up Damon, and I, I think that you're just showing the the complete spectrum of people. Yeah. Did you listen to season two of Serial? Not yet. The podcast. I'm not going to spoil anything for you, but Thank one you. of the it's about like a guy getting that's a prisoner of war. Mm-hmm. I've listened to the first episode. Okay, so it's a little different because Private Ryan is not a POW. Or he's not in like they're not actually going to save him. But the the guys in Serial they put out like the thing like we have to find this POW, and a lot of them are like, why should I risk my life for this guy? Because number one, he like walked off the base allegedly or whatever. Mm-hmm. But like they're like, why should I I give my life for this guy? I have a mother too, like that kind of thing. And I think that's important to have. But that guy didn't have any other redeeming qualities, except being like a New Yorker. Yeah, he did have um, loyalty to the country. Yeah, he he's the one that had it written on his back, right? Where it said Brooklyn. Oh, Brooklyn, New York. Yeah. 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 Again, you just got to show everyone every walk of life. Right. We talked about Private Jackson earlier. That's the name of the sniper, uh, played by Barry Pepper. Very good. Very good. He did feel kind of like a stereotype, though. I mean, everyone does. I guess, yeah. Yeah. Like, once you start, if you look at it through the lens of, like, of what I just said, of them trying to fill, like, each role, Mm -hmm. I mean, even, like, the states that they come from is a stereotype. Totally. He's, like, this religious southern Uh sniper, and uh, I don't want to, like diss on anybody but it's a little but bit the scene where he shoots the other sniper okay can you that was dope okay where did inappropriate use of the word dope <laughs> i had a problem with that and maybe you can clear this up for yeah. me so it appears that he shoots him down his uh, his scope uh yeah he shoots him in the scope come like really he's a good he's, he's a good that good shot. it kind of took me out of the movie though i'm like yeah, down. The, you're good, but no one's that good, are you? I mean, whatever. It's incon- inconsequential. But if you're shooting him in the head, which is what he's trying to do, there's not a ton of other options. Yeah, I guess it depends on the angle and everything. But it, like shooting right down the scope yeah. seems like a cheesy action movie but he trope. Shoot into his gun, <laughs> like into the barrel. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that doesn't go as well. <laughs> and then it explodes. <laughs> oh no! Lots of explosions. Adam Goldberg plays Private Mellish. He's the like the Jewish soldier. I really liked this character. Do you, you do you recall him? How do I not? I don't know. I, I need to stop asking you it. that. Yeah. Uh, well, because I didn't know any of the names. Like I can keep tracking their names. Hold on. What's his plot point? So he's fun. I liked him. He had a good sense of humor, but 
it never was paid off. His death scene is so, oh, it's hard, and it's it shows the non growth of the other character, the younger guy. Uh. But he's the one that gets slowly stabbed by oh, the German. Wait, you didn't like him? No, I liked him a lot. Yeah, yeah, I liked him a lot. Totally, yeah, I liked him a lot. The, dark the death guy scene, yeah, 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 yeah. The death scene just number one, he should have been saved. Number two, oh. I liked him. And, like, that's the worst way to go down. That scene is crazy. Like, the just slowly, oh, we, we can't even And they're, like, like talking to him. Oh, boy. And so there's two people that die up there in that room. Yeah. 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 All because the, uh, the kid wouldn't All because up of Cor- Corporal Upham, Jeremy Davies' character. I guess he paid off in the end, but. No, he didn't. He, he gets the guy that he let go in anyway. Like Why? I don't understand. Why would. So there were like seven. There were probably like five guys that he that he held up. Right at the end, like he comes out from behind his little dune and there's like five. Oh, like, they, and they all had guns. Why did they surrender? I don't know. There's. There's a couple little things. Yeah, there's a lot. There's too much. I said it earlier, but there's too much talking. Like, the soldiers in that scenario are going to see you shoot. They're yeah. not going to, like, it's not the same. The, the scene with the kids is weird, where the kids are up in the upstairs. Like, that was really weird. Actually, that was weird enough that I, I completely lost the plot for a minute. I did too. Like, so he took the kid. They weren't supposed to take the kid. Why do you take the kid? Where did he come from? End, even he kind of came out from like screen left from yeah. nowhere. And then like they gave the kid back and then the girl starts hitting her dad. I love that. She's <laughs> like, why would you give me to the American soldiers? That I was a bad idea. That's so, inc- I, I, it was, uh, it was inconsequential and just strange. Yeah. Um, I guess you're showing, uh, humility, not humility. You're showing like the humanity of someone right before you're killing them. Yeah. Which is important, I guess. So what he does, he brings those guys out and they surrender. It might have been consequential. Like I kind of don't remember the point of the battle, but he has them and then he sees that guy that he talked Tom Hanks mm-hmm. into letting go, which was dumb. They never would have done that, I don't think. Well, the ba- that was the battle where they were just trying to get to the other side of the town because the other platoon, or I keep saying platoon. But well, they could have gone around that the other one too. Oh. They could have gone around that one and then one of the guys dies and... Whatever. What's the opposite of path of least resistance? <laughs> the going, doing that thing, running into the Nazi stronghold. Doesn't make sense. Take a cue from water, Tom Hanks. Path of least resistance. Oh, <laughs> is that a movie? <laughs> oh god. Uh, well, that's a thing. All right, the next one, Vin Diesel. Yeah. How? I don't know. Like, he was great. He was. Fine. He was Vin Diesel. He was Vin Diesel. He was Vin Diesel. He was young Vin Diesel. Yeah. This is that the same year? No, it was before Fast and the Furious. Oh, it had to be before. Yeah, I think that was like two thousand. But right after this movie, I just binge watched seven Fast and the Furious movies. <laughs> <laughs> so here's a cameo that's not a cameo. I don't think because he was not a star then. Do you know who I'm talking about? Is this Jeremy? No, this is. Who are you talking about? Min- I think it's called Minnesota Ryan. Oh yeah. <laughs> so it's Nathan Fillion. Who at the time I think it just either it was on two guys a girl in a pizza place, or just left. That's crazy. I think, which is crazy that he was even in that. Yeah, but it's a very time. young Nathan Fillion in I this. Didn't, I didn't even know that that's who it was. I saw in the credits somewhere that it said Minnesota Ryan, and I laughed. Yeah, that's really endearing. I don't know the point of that plot point either. Like the mistaking the Ryan. It's it's another part where I felt this movie was wasting my time not going to where it needed to go. Yeah, but what do you want, an hour and a half movie? Yeah, I'd love you know, an hour and a half movie. But do you remember what Tom Hanks said, where he was like, it's like we're looking for a needle in a stack of needles? 
<laughs> First yeah. off, it's a really great line. It is. Second off, okay, I get it. The middle name thing made me mad, where like they had the same, they both had middle names of F. Uh-huh. Yeah. I was like, all right. I mean, there's a lot of people over there, but... Whatever. Yeah. It was interesting to see how Captain Miller, Tom Hanks, like started to kind of lose his ish right after that. Because he was just like standing in that like road of people walking in. He was just like, Private Ryan. Yeah. Anybody? But it worked. It oddly enough worked, which was also another thing that took me out of the movie. <sighs> I don't know. I don't know. Is the is the randomness of life not like equate to the random events in movies sometimes? I don't know. Like it's I think hard that's to say. It. If like, yeah, it seems like so coincidental that it doesn't make any sense, but at the same time, maybe like life can be so coincidental sometimes that it's okay. But like also that. at the same time, it's very coincidental. Yeah. <laughs> I think when coincidences happen to you in real life, you don't believe them either. That's fair. So yeah, you're right. I don't know. That's a good, I like that angle though. That puts it in a different place for me. I, I have, I'm, I'm going to positive spin this entire movie except for one thing because I really liked it. Okay. Yeah. So you, you wanted to talk about the. Hold on. You, you have to uh, just say the name Ted Danson. Oh, Ted Danson's in it. Yeah, Ted Danson's in it. Um, so Matt Damon. Okay. So there's two things. One, I didn't know Matt Damon was in this movie until our friend at work told us. Mm-hmm. And what he told us, I believe it was about Matt Damon, where he said they all had to go to, the eight dudes had to go to like hardcore training and Matt Damon mm-hmm. didn't. And so they had like this natural resentment of him. Good. I mean, smart. that's, yeah, that's really smart filmmaking. Because they did. They all had a resentment towards him, regardless of if they were going to do the mission or not. Yeah. I like that. It's pretty cool. So when I was making the like notes about the cast, the first thing I wrote down for Matt Damon, and it stayed that way for like 20 minutes, was whatever. <laughs> Why? He's just not important. He's the most important person to the plot and the least at the same time. Like they're doing this all for him, but he doesn't have a lot to do with it. He has some kind of good lines that show his like loyalty to his squadron and wanting to stay and why me, all that kind of stuff. But he's not his character is most important at the very end in the cemetery, and that's not even Matt Damon. Did you expect um the dude on the beach to wake up when they came in and showed his name? I was expecting him to like move. Do you remember like they show Ryan? They pan over all the dead oh, bodies and they yeah, show Ryan. The I was like, beginning. oh, that must be him, but then it's not. That's yeah, his brother. It's his brother. Yeah, from what all of the what I thought I knew about this movie from social consciousness, I realized I kind of didn't because I thought he was like a POW or something. And that's where the saving comes from. Sure. But it's not. It's this like political reason to make them not look as bad. He's fine. Yeah, it is. It's the whole movie is a big PR PR stunt. Mm-hmm. Although not, it's not like they're getting credit. It it is actually just kind of goodwill. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm okay with the driving force. I'm okay with Matt Damon. I thought he was a little whiny, but it was kind of it was for good. I don't know. That's why I kind of just was like, whatever. Like, <sighs> there's nothing great or bad about him. There's he's not even in it for the whole thing. Like, he's barely in it. He's yeah. in it for like the last hour. Yeah, <laughs> which is like nothing to this movie. Oh, yeah, nothing at all. <laughs> but it's kind of just like whatever. He's Matt Damon. There he is. All right. So I have one um, major issue with this movie, and I like it a lot that I can explain it away. So uh, so I'm okay with it, but I'm really unhappy with the execution. Um, so in at, at first, you're in this graveyard, and you see the, the grandpa, right? Right. 
And you go, they fade in to him. I don't remember exactly how they do it. Maybe like zoom in on the eyes or something Spielberg-esque. And then they, uh, then they show the start of the war, right? Of the, of the event, of D-Day. Right. And the main character for this movie is Tom Hanks. Mm-hmm. So you're led to believe, and again, this, this is, I, I understand what they're doing because it's the only way the twist works. And I don't know why everything needs a twist, but you're led to believe that the old man is Tom Hanks, right? Do you agree with that? Oh yeah, you felt like that immediately the entire time. So this movie is you're you're following Tom Hanks, and so you're also led to believe that Tom Hanks lives in this movie. Mm. So the only way you can really accomplish the twist of him dying and making it really punch is by it not being Tom Hanks. Yeah, but not the presentation, knowing who it is in the beginning. But by framing the story, the actual story. With this visiting the memorial, the way that they did, you are from the get-go committed to this being Tom Hanks. So that's fine. And I'm I'm fine with that part of it. Okay. I'm fine with them killing Tom Hanks. And I'm fine with you finding out that I'm I understand why they need to do it because they need it for the hit of Tom Hanks dying. Mm-hmm. Otherwise it, you're you're just gonna assume that he's gonna die like his entire team of people did. Here's my problem. It's it's Matt Damon. It's Private Ryan, right? Right. So in the beginning, it's Private Ryan. In the end, it's Private Ryan. But the way when you use that framing technique, it is it implies that you're following the path of the person, which means that it's it's not first person, but it's like maybe it's second person. Yeah. Where you're you're going through the experience with that person. But Private Ryan wasn't there for Ever. for two thirds of the movie. Right. It, and that the, doesn't make any sense. Yeah, and it like the, that final scene pays it off, but then I, I didn't think back to the beginning when I thought that was Captain Miller, Tom Hanks in the like it, cemetery. Mac, listen to me. <laughs> the movie makes no sense with this framing device. It doesn't make any sense. How are the events being retold from the point of view of someone that wasn't there? You're totally right. <laughs> so wait, if you... He wasn't there. He wasn't there on the beach. So if he you, wasn't there when the uh, when Phoebe's brother <laughs> got <laughs> shot. How are those events being retold through the framing device of that being Matt Damon at the memorial? Okay, so how about this? Uh, you're in the theater. Put yourself there. It's mm-hmm. 1998. You shouldn't be at this movie. <laughs> I'm like, you're, Mom? T- you're a baby. <laughs> It seems inappropriate. She's like, shut up. It's important. (laughs) (laughs) So then like previews end. Boom. You're on Omaha Beach. You watch the entire movie exactly the same. Yes. And you have an epilogue that's exactly the same, but you don't have the first bit. Does the movie play better to you? Uh, Why do you need the epilogue? I understand it's poignancy. It's just so inappropriate. You don't. I think the epilogue can stay, and I think the epilogue is important because it connects the people that are in the war with the people that you know. It connects it with your grandpa. That's who fought that war is our grandparents. And in some cases, our parents' grandparents. Wait, okay. So even if, even if what you're saying is true, even if you it is a better movie with the framing devices... It doesn't make sense. <laughs> right. You can remove both of them and have a good movie. A better movie. Yeah. Because it makes 
sense. I guess <laughs> I just really like storytelling that. is being the way the storytelling is as as it exists, and the way that framing works as a plot device, and the way what it means in cinematography when you zoom in on someone's face and fade to a, a something in the past. <laughs> yeah, that has a connotation that you're going and they along with. Completely broke the rules of cinema. And I again, I understand why they did it. You have to do it to make Tom Hanks dying the surprise. I get it. And I can explain it away by saying that he's talked that um, Matt Damon's character has talked to other people and like gotten a picture of what these people went through. Mm. But it's bogus. You're right. Oh, it just hit me. Yeah, I get it. Yeah. I like I 80% got it before and I totally get it now. Because he, he would be, yeah, because he would be telling, I don't know how I ignored that this entire time, that he would be telling the story to his grandkids or whatever in this, in this, or He's to having his storyteller or whatever. things that he wasn't there for. Right. He really only should remember two days of that, and it was, it was like a week. Two days of what's shown, but his story is completely different. It mm-hmm. should have him, like, dropping incorrectly and being scattered from his platoon and stuff like that. Coming in 2018, <laughs> Saving Private Ryan 2. <laughs> Good. Hopefully it'll make sense this time. Yeah, they just you know, they stick with him the whole time, and it just says at the end, are you fucking happy, Matt? Honestly, just... <laughs> and there's our explicit rating. <laughs> no, we could have got him one last time, I think. You can uh, put a funny... You put a funny sound effect, like a funny World War II <laughs> sound effect, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah, man. I was totally with it. Like I said, I loved the movie all the way. Um, but... <laughs> they broke the rules. <laughs> and I I don't know if I, like I said, I don't know if I like this movie, but I appreciate it because it was a huge accomplishment in filmmaking. That many extras, that much special effect, practical mm-hmm. special practical, effects. Yeah. And it's Spielberg and like all that. It's, it's, I appreciate that movie, but it, I don't know if I'll ever watch it again. I actually, I kind of want to show my wife. Yeah? Yeah, I don't think she would like it for one second, but I just feel like... You should you should watch this. Listen, if you're listening to this podcast and you haven't watched this movie, first off, you're kind of wasting your time. It's kind of the point. But second off, you should watch it. You should watch it and then like go hug your grandpa or something. Yeah, because like, yeah. it it's a, we've had some fun here, but this topic sucks. We're outside. It's it's interesting that we still live in a reality where uh, there's still a connection. Like there's a two generation connection right. to the event. Our kids won't understand this. Ugh, and boy. it came out at an interesting interesting time, too, because look at 1998. The like the baby boomer generation is making this movie, and their parents were at war. Mm-hmm. And no one else is. Like, yeah, we're we're out of the Cold War now. We're into the Gulf War, but that didn't affect on a population right. or global scale like World War II did, obviously. So it came out at an interesting time where it's probably the first time that this movie could have been made. But it's also interesting because that generation that was there couldn't have watched this movie. Like, I know people have said, like, that was oh, too much. I'm sure. That was too real. Well, good on them. They, they really nailed. I, I would say this movie probably. Uh, see, you're going to disagree, but I feel like this movie really had flawless execution. Like the when the action was there, it was really intense. But there was probably a ton of downtime, a ton of time where you're like you just feel wayward and like things are dragging. Like it's probably a, an accurate reflection of how people felt. Yeah, it just seemed like it. It didn't need to be three hours long. 
it could have been 45 minutes shorter and I wouldn't have lost any of the important parts of that movie. But I, I said I was like a grump pants going into this. Yeah. So it's sad that you that you ruined this movie with your attitude. <laughs> I, I didn't ruin it. I like mm. I, said, I wanted to watch it for a while because I've been there and all that. But yeah, it was weird. Definitely weird. So uh, let's just do it like a general recap. I I really like this movie. I thought great execution. Um, I wish we had time to talk about the sound design. Crazy. One of my most hated sounds in the world is the sound of whizzing bullets in water. Mm. So the first half an hour of this movie was a literal nightmare for me. Uh, I don't know why that sounds. Always you just crazy. don't. You just hate that sound. Yeah, it's that not sound the... itself kills me. Okay, it's not like a spaceships in space thing where they shouldn't make noise. It's no, no, just no. Like you just hate it. <laughs> no, the actual sound really, really bugs me. Okay. Um, not bugs. Terrifies. Like it terrifies me. Um. I thought the acting was immaculate. I thought the direction was incredible. It's one of the most beautiful movies I've ever seen. Incredibly well shot. Uh, man, I, I dug it. For someone that's not into war, that's not into history, that's not into movies, that's <laughs> not into life, yeah. I thought it was yeah, it was fantastic. It was a really good movie. It's just not necessarily the movie for me. Yeah. Yeah. Next week on Retro Foundation, we're going to try something, and it's a little bit bigger of a, of a bite to take here but we want to celebrate the 30th anniversary of legend of zelda which is this year by playing the first legend of zelda which i've never played i've never played it either i'm a huge zelda fan mm-hmm. but i've never played it my my like birth moment with zelda is ocarina of time but next week on retro foundation we're going to try to talk about maybe not a full playthrough but it, as much as we can get done of the original legend of zelda from a modern perspective and look at it and see what we think. Here's the thing. We're not subject matter experts. Like we're not sitting here saying that, Oh, I'm going to tell you about saving private Ryan because I know everything about it now. It's almost the opposite. It's saying like, this is on first consumption. This is how I feel. And that's why I think Zelda is really interesting. It's not about maybe, maybe experiencing the whole thing is important. Like I know there's some games that either like really trail off at the end or really get made at the end. Um, but I feel more like it's about ingesting the experience and reflecting on it. Right. Not necessarily like this is the entire experience. Like I could watch Saving Private Ryan 10 more times and probably still really miss a ton of stuff. Right. It's more about like here. It's putting ourselves in this first run thing. Why was this so impactful at the time that it, it existed? Yeah. And for Saving Private Ryan is a lot of things. We've talked about some of it, the Mm -hmm. cultural relevance, the generation that's still there. And I think the sheer spectacle, I think we'll find the same, um, heaviness to Zelda when we really dive in. I'm sure. But you're <laughs> right that we... <laughs> well, not no, not subject matter uh, heaviness, but actual, like, um, impact. Yeah it, yeah, it will have an impact, but... <laughs> it's not saving forever, Ryan. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. It defined... That defines a generation of video games. Yes, it does. Yeah, for a lot of people. Right. Um, so, yeah, I'm excited. Uh, I'm There's a 0% chance I'm going to beat it. I played it for half an hour. And uh, I'm just god awful. They're always hard. Zelda games are always hard. Those puzzles just I got Twilight Princess just came out this week, and I wanted to get it. And I was reading the reviews and remembering that God, those dungeons are frustrating. They're real, especially tough. in that one. But you know what's interesting about what I've played? Uh, we won't do this. I, <laughs> what I'm going to do is I'm going to say, Hey, you know what's interesting about what I've played so far? And then the outro music. <laughs> <laughs> Find out, find out what I think is interesting next week. <laughs> <laughs> That's a funny idea. <laughs> we can execute it really well. 
Uh, but yeah, that's going to be really exciting. I'm I'm stoked to have this experience, and uh, if it goes well, I think we should set up a Twitch channel. That would be really fun. Yeah, that'd be interesting to to talk to people and hear feedback as we as we play and give feedback as we play. Totally. Well, that does it for this week of Retro Foundation. I hope everyone out there enjoyed our romp through World War II France. Until next week, I'm Mackenzie Collins. And I'm Matt Vallette. This is all too hard.